You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 to 15. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Our scripture talks about the different gifts that God has given us for equipping the saints and building up the body. Most of you are probably used to seeing me up here on the platform. And for that matter, I'm used to being up here, but not in this context. I am not a pastor, nor do I have the gift of preaching. But I'm here as your moderator to share with you how the board feels about preparing our church to serve. Over the past year or so, we have talked a lot about building, putting up a new structure on the land that God has given us. But around the board table, we have been talking about how we build up everyone in our church, equipping us for God's work, as stated in our scripture reading. And we have struggled with what that looks like and how it should be done. As we talked about it, invariably the word leadership was used. How do we make leaders? What does leadership look like? And in the context of church, what is leadership? In the world around us, especially in business, leadership is much sought after. You can find many books on leadership on the store shelves, with many different definitions of what leadership is. You can find arguments between those who believe that leaders are born, not taught, as opposed to those who believe that you can groom and develop leaders. And the economic spin-offs from those who teach, mentor, groom, or guide leaders is huge. Leadership is big business. So what defines a leader? And how do you respond to him or her? Do you ever find yourself at odds with someone who 
has a different strength for you or thinks differently than you. Thirty or so years ago, when I worked at Westfair Foods, they brought in a senior vice president from our parent company to start up the superstores. Now, I have to tell you, Serge was a brilliant man. He could quote the Bible better than I could, but he wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was a tyrant. Serge would beat down, belittle, and frighten people to get what he wanted. I would get called into Serge's office, and he would say to me, Dave, I want you to do this and this and this and this and give me that result. And I would look at him and say, so what I've... If I understand you correctly, you want that result. No, I want you to do this and this and this and this and give me that result. And I'd look at him again and I'd say, that's what I said, sir. You want that result. And as his face got a little redder and he got that evil twinkle in his eye, before he could explode, I would say to him, Serge, you know that I will not do it the way that you told me to do it. But I will give you a better result than what you asked for. To which Serge would reply, get out of my office. Now, this would happen quite regularly on a number of different topics, but usually with the same result. I couldn't and wouldn't do it Serge's way because both my strengths and my beliefs were different. Plus, if the truth be told, I didn't like his methods. But the surprising part was I I was about the only person in the whole office structure that Serge respected. The fact that Maybe we both like to discuss our points of view at length. Probably didn't hurt either. And also, truth be told, I was actually going to say argue, but Pastor Terry said last week that we weren't supposed to grumble, complain, or argue, so I changed it. So what makes a leader a leader? Most often it's an issue of authority or power or a combination of the two. Now, you have graciously elected me as your moderator and chairman of the board, You have granted me the authority, but I have to earn the power or the respect. And that is done by trying to be a good leader and helping us to move forward under God's control and guidance. The word authority is derived from the Latin word actoritas and can be used to mean power given by the state or by academic knowledge in an area, something like a subject matter expert or a subject matter authority. In the social sciences and politics, Power is the ability to influence or control the behavior of people. If people are willing to follow you, you have power. You saw this in our civic elections this past week when the candidates for mayor sought support from large groups like unions. And Joy Smith, the member of parliament who spoke to us a few weeks ago, alluded to this in the House of Commons when she went looking for support for her private member's bill on human trafficking. The more followers you have, the more power. So Actoritus historically was restricted to discussions on the political history of Rome. But the beginning of the phenomenological philosophy in the 20th century expanded the use of the word. That philosophy started to look at experience and consciousness and expanded that whole meaning of authority. Now in ancient Rome, Actoritus referred to the general level of prestige that a person had in their society. And as a consequence, his clout influence or ability to rally support around his will. Actoritus was not merely political, however. It had a numinous or a divinity content and symbolized that mysterious power of command that you saw in heroic Roman figures. 
If you've read anything about Rome's emperors, you would have noted that some of them thought of themselves as gods. They were considered divine, at least in their own mind. And then the Apostle Paul was arrested and chained to the Praetorian Guard, and the true God came to Caesar's household. How ironic is that? This morning, as the worship team was leading us, we sang, all authority, every victory is yours, talking about God. And in Colossians, they said that all power and authority reports to them. They have the supreme power and authority. So what is a leader? And who appoints him or her? At the level that I worked in business, I usually had a degree of authority that allowed me to direct the work and results of others. So from that perspective, I was granted the leadership to lead those below me in position or authority. A leader leads others, and that usually results from building the trust, capability, and belief that those around you recognize and decide that they will follow. So what does that say about our personal strivings to be leaders? Is it a case of wanting to do all the work and make all the decisions to lead you into something better? Or am I simply looking for followers who will look up to me? Have we fallen into the humanistic trap of wanting to be godlike or divine? God has already made us part of him, as we see in 2 Peter 1.4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion, and become partakers of the divine nature. So how do we make leaders within the church? Or should we? Part of our influence from the world around us is that we think that nothing can happen without leadership. A Barna research survey indicates that only 8% of today's pastors identify leadership as a primary spiritual gift. Only 8% of our pastors figure that they have the gift of leadership. So how can someone without the gift of leadership lead? Our scripture passage answers that question. In verse 11, it tells us the who. It says that Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And if Christ is the one giving, there is no greater power, nor do we need anything else. Then in verse 12, we are told what these gifts are for. To equip the people for works of service. Verses 12 to 14 tell us the why. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And finally, in verse 15, we see how. Speaking the truth in love... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. So do we chase leadership? There actually is a gift of leadership as mentioned in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
And then above that, there are the equipping gifts that have a leadership effect, as taught in our scripture reading from Ephesians 4. Gifts that mean that we're all going to approach situations differently. Now, I'm the moderator of the church, and Pastor Terry is the senior pastor. Would it surprise you to know that Pastor Terry and I sometimes disagree? Would it concern you? Well, it doesn't bother Pastor Terry or I, because what we agree on is the means towards the end, not the end. When it comes to God and serving Him, we are in total agreement. And we have another agreement. We made a commitment, a promise to each other when we first started to work together that we would never surprise each other in a meeting. And that has forced us to meet privately first to ensure that we understand each other's perspective and to discuss how we will present the differing points of view. And it has been invaluable in helping us to lead together and is appreciated by us both, co-workers in Christ. But on top of all that, what I find really humbling is that God doesn't really need us. He can do everything that needs doing much better than I can do it. But He still accepts my service and puts up with how I do it so that I can learn and grow and come closer to Him. My service is a matter of worship. When Joy Smith was here a month ago, she talked about just following God's will and then trying to accomplish something in whatever circumstance that He put her. She said, Be bold, do not fear. If God puts you in it and wants something done, it will be Him causing the result and will not depend on you or me. So be bold. Enjoy the ride. Over the years, probably decades really, our church has decided to send people to leadership conferences and to study different material to help us to develop new leaders. And I really don't see that changing. We want to help our people to grow and to step up into new positions of leadership so we can continue to grow our church. But in order for that to happen, we need to know what we're supposed to be. What we need is not so much leadership as a leader shift. We need to look at God and ourselves to determine how best to serve. As Paul says in our scripture reading, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what does God want from us? I've just talked about our differences, our gifts, personalities, and attitudes. So does he want the same thing from you as he does from me? The short answer is yes. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our instructions, commands really, tell us to love God. Not if we have certain gifts or combinations of abilities. Love God. It doesn't matter how much we are the same or different. We are to love God. That's the vertical command and relationship, God and us. And then he goes on to say that we are to love our neighbors. That's the horizontal relationship. Love those around us. At the board level, we sometimes hear comments asking, why are we always talking about the community? Why are we always pushing building relationships with those around us? Because that's what we've been commanded to do. And it's not just the community. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the world. 
We are not to stop just within our community. We are to extend ourselves as far as we possibly can. And that's the position that the board takes as we consider the vision for our church and how we are going to continue to serve God. But please understand, this is not really about the community or the world. It's about us. God wants us to love Him, our neighbors and the world, so that we, you and I, serve Him and draw closer to Him and receive more gifts from Him so that we can keep that cycle going. He can do it better, but He lets us participate and grow in Him. That's what God wants from us, each and every one of us. When we send a team to India, as is going to happen in another week and a half, or to Garden Hill or Bolivia, we are addressing a need in those places. But the reality is that we are only there for a week or two. So why do we continue to send out these teams? Because of what we get back. When our people get back, we have trained and experienced leaders who are engaged and excited about serving God. And that excitement is contagious. So let's start an epidemic of trained, experienced, and excited servants and leaders. In that way, we can give those around us to the experience of using their gifts, and we worship God in doing so. These experiences sometimes teach us what to do, and sometimes they teach us what not to do. Shirley and I had the privilege of attending a Hindu wedding this summer. We were invited in and accepted, just like we are told to love our neighbors. They had that horizontal relationship down pat. But when they worshipped during the ceremony, their God was not God. It was represented by a statue. That horizontal relationship is nothing without the vertical relationship to God. So does God expect that we'll all do things the same way? While He expects the same thing from each and every one of us, He does not expect that we'll all do it the same way. As our scripture states, some are made as teachers, preachers, prophets, evangelists, etc. So that we will use the different gifts that God has given us to do the work that He has given us. That's why Pastor Terry and I sometimes disagree. That and the fact that he's wrong. (laughs) Pastor Terry is a gifted speaker and therefore is most often up here preaching the sermon on Sunday morning. That is not my gifting, but I'm here this morning to serve God, to bring a message from the board and leaders within our church and to make you an offer, which I'll get to in a moment. How do you feel when the pastors are preaching? Do you feel like they're pointing directly at you? Does what they say make you feel guilty? I want to assure you that when the pastors are preparing their sermons, they're not thinking specifically about you. But what you're hearing is God's message getting through to you as he tries to make you better and to enhance the gifts that he has given you. Listen to what is being said and ask yourself how you can use what you've just heard to serve God better. And a good start is to determine your spiritual gifts so you know where he wants you to serve. In the past, we have run a network course that helps us identify our spiritual gifts. The process involves examining the different spiritual gifts and then assessing yourself through a series of questions. Then you get three people who know you to also answer the questions, but about you, and they provide the external assessment of your strengths. When I took the network course back in the 90s, I found out that my first gift was administration. That was no surprise to me. 
and I've always found myself in some way, shape, or form involved in administration. But over the years, my thinking focused more on the usual definition of administration, which means the handling and organization of tasks and procedure to improve the business process. However, when I reviewed the definition as I prepared this message, it brought me back into focus. The spiritual gift of administration is defined as the divine ability to start and oversee the development of new churches or ministry structures. It says that people with this gift pioneer and establish new ministries or churches, adapt to different surroundings by being culturally sensitive and aware, desire to minister to unreached people in other communities or countries, have responsibilities to oversee ministries or groups of churches, and demonstrate authority and vision for the mission of the church. Maybe that's why I feel so strongly about moving forward with building our new church. My second gift was leadership. And, of course, I was pleased that I was confirmed as a leader. That's the worldly influence, that everybody should be a leader. I thought that I had some leadership quality, and my external evaluators confirmed it. It felt good. And then came my third gift. Based on my evaluation, I thought that faith was my third gift. But when my other evaluators were finished with me, they said that my third gift was wisdom. Now I've got to tell you, I don't feel particularly wise. I make my decisions based on my education and experience, the same as each and every one of you do. So I just didn't see it. Where's the wisdom? However, I will continue to try and serve God and honor Him in the decisions that I make. But I do understand that my methods may be different from the way that you would do it, and that's okay, as long as we're both serving God. And that's what I was doing when I responded to a request from another good friend. Shirley and I again had the opportunity to attend another church, an Anglican church, for an ordination service to become a deacon. In their church, you have to be ordained to be a deacon, and that's about a three-year process. Like the Hindu service, we were warmly welcomed, and their service was certainly different from what we're used to here. But we were the same in that we love and serve the same God. So how do we give God what He wants, knowing all of that? We know that God wants our love, And that we have differences in our gifts and abilities. So individually, we accept Jesus, love God, follow his commandment because he wants us. In other words, thy will be done. Collectively, we join together to love and support one another. And we work towards the goal, as Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead... I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And God tells us that where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be there also. By gathering together, we make ourselves stronger. I know my strengths, but they are few and I have lots of weaknesses. If I attempt to do things by myself, I have to do some of the work in my weakness. However, If I join with you and your strengths, I can call upon you where I'm weak, and together we can produce a much stronger result. Thirty years ago, 
I would have given Serge exactly what he asked for. And I probably would have found some humor in watching the results, knowing that his methods would backfire. But when we serve God together, I want to give him the best, and that means letting go of the control and asking you to come alongside and use your strengths to combine with mine so that we can serve together and produce a much finer result. After all, he deserves it. Does that mean that we'll always agree on what to do and how to do it? No. In the same way that Pastor Terry and I sometimes disagree, I don't believe God is concerned with our disagreement as long as we are headed towards the same goal, Him. But a caution here. We do have to be careful how we disagree with one another. Remember how our scripture reading opened? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God allows us to sharpen each other through our discussion and disagreement and to grow together and to build one another. Now, I mentioned earlier that I had an offer for you, and it has to do with giving God what He wants. The board recognized a long time ago that if the pastors were the only one responsible for developing new leaders, then our church would only grow based on their ability to do that. Given their other duties and responsibilities, they might be able to disciple up to two leaders a year. So with three pastors, that's a maximum of six leaders each year to continue growing our church. Our church isn't going to grow very fast. The board knew that they had to take on some of that responsibility for leadership training. But how? We now believe that we have found one of the answers, and that is the book called Leadership by Don Cousins. A few people in our church have already come together and read the book and discussed the implications on our church. But now the board has agreed to get together to study and discuss the book and would like as many of you as we can get to join us. Here's your opportunity to get to know the people on your board better. Hear their thoughts on leadership. Join them in discussion and see what we can learn about growing our church. The process is fairly simple. Starting on November the 4th, we will look at meeting once per month for six months to study the leadership book and study guide, and you will be able to share your thoughts on development of future leaders. Then in April or May, we hope to have Don Cousins in to do a number of sessions with the pastors, the board, and then a full Saturday session for everyone to really cement all of that learning and discussion. Personally, I would love to have you all there. Come and help us define what God wants from us and how we can give Him what He wants. But if you're coming, you need to sign up today because November 4th is only nine days away. I am a child of God. And like all children, I have gone through growth growth spurts with my relationship with God. One of the biggest was when I left West Fair Foods back in 1988. My friend Serge had decided to move the head office of the superstores to Calgary. I was not going to make that move. They said that they would make a job for me here in Winnipeg. And I was the personnel manager at the time, and I thought, we have never made a job for anybody in all the years that I've worked in this organization. But more than that, I really felt that God did not want me at Westfair. So even though I had the promise of a job, and I was not looking elsewhere, 
I made the decision to trust God and quit my job. And the results were amazing. There were so many things that happened that demonstrated God's love and control that it would take me much longer than I have to tell you all about it. If you really want to know, ask me sometimes. I'll be happy to share the story with you. But after my notice period was up and I left Westphere, I was off work for three days before I started my new job. And I really needed more time off because I had a pile of painting at work that needed done. But that simple step of faith in God helped me to grow substantially in my trust and closeness to God. So my prayer for you is to love God, love those others around you, and open yourself so that God can work through you for a new you to share His love and to do His will. Amen.